We're reading today from a letter that Paul sent to his friend Timothy. It's 2 Timothy chapter 3, from verses 10 to 17. Paul says to Timothy, You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecution, sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evildoers and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learnt and have been convinced of, because you know those from whom you learnt it, and, have, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Good morning, everyone. I, I promise to be a wee bit more sedate and chilled um, at this point. Actually, I can't promise. I will endeavour to be a wee bit more sedate and chilled. Um, as Abby said, um, I've came down from Peterhead Baptist today, so I bring you greetings um, from that church. But I also bring the greetings from the Oatleys, from Peter and Hilary, and from the Rutamas, from Iska and Judy. Um, and, and really, um, Peter was here a while, just a, quite recently, um, while he was taking some sabbatical. Um, and I just want to bring you news that he has got a new assignment um, working in dictionary work and it's going really well and he's enjoying it. Um, so that's a real answer to prayer. Um, but please continue to pray uh, for the Ratamas and their work with the 10 year people. Um, you know, where they're working with 2 million people, 2 million speakers of a language, and yet only a handful of Christians. And the opportunity that that presents when they get access to God's word. Um, so, yeah, let me begin by praying and then we'll look at this passage together. God, we thank you for the privilege that it is to meet this morning, to be able to read your word in our language. And I pray that as we look at the importance of your word and the role of Bible translation in your mission to the world, that you will speak to each of us of your love, your hope, and how you want to shape and change each of us and your desire to draw people from across all the world to Jesus. God be with us now. Amen. So I do want to start with a question. I did say I would try to be a wee bit more sedate, but you know. So I want to start with a question. What role did the Bible play in you coming to know Jesus? Maybe it was a specific verse that was shared to you by a parent or a grandparent. 
Maybe you saw a Bible and you opened it up and there was a verse that just caught your attention. Just take a couple of minutes just to think about that question for yourself. I don't have the answer for you. What role did the Bible play in you coming to know Jesus? Thank you. But now I want you to think about who would you be? How would your life be different? Would you be any different if you didn't have the Bible? Now I really hope the answer is your life would be vastly different because actually the Bible is so important to our lives and it should be so important to our lives. We should have been transformed as we read God's word. Let me tell you about my story. Again, it'll be different to your story, but I'll tell you my story. I, it scares me to think about where I would be if I didn't have the Bible. So there's been no part of my life where I've not had access to God's word. Um, I grew up in a Christian home, which is such a privilege. Um, but it meant that there was a lot of pressure. So for me, I have six brothers and sisters we were the big Christian family of our, of our part of Glasgow. Everyone knew us. Everyone knew we were Christians. Everyone knew our, my parents were teachers, so we were expected to be well-behaved in school. We were expected to do well. We were expected to be those good Christians. And then I went and did a Christian gap year. So again, I was expected to be a good Christian. How does a Christian act? You know, a Christian should have this amazing prayer life. And so I'm 17 thinking, okay, and then I went to Aberdeen Uni to do theology. So again, I'm surrounded by Christians. Everyone expects this amazing Christian girl. Her, her life's going to be sorted. Her faith is going to be just, you know, in the echelons. It's going to be so great. And I was dealing with all those expectations. And I actually then went to work for a church um, for a bit as well um, in Stirling for seven years. And actually, I got to the point in my mid-20s where all that pressure that had been building for the last two decades got to me. And I thought, actually, am I just faking this? Is this all just, I'm, I'm just basically trying to achieve the expectations that people are putting on my life and that, that my faith isn't mine. And, and I was a bit lost and I didn't know what to do. Um, and I couldn't really go to my pastor because my pastor was my boss because I worked for the church. That's a bit awkward to have that conversation and say, have I, have I missed something? Um, so what I did was I went to my old pastor in Glasgow's wife and I went and had coffee with her. And I was just thinking, what, what is this? Should I just give up? Because I just, I seem to be missing something that everyone else has. And in the outside, it looks great. But actually inside, it, it doesn't feel so great. It doesn't feel like I'm living the way that I should be. And she gave me no advice of her own. What a great pastor's wife that is. But actually, she did something so much more important. And she says, Ruth, I'm not going to say anything. Let's just look at what the Bible says. And so she turned me to Philippians 1.6, where it says this. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. For me, at that point, I knew I had given my life to Jesus when I was about nine years old. 
I maybe didn't feel like I was a great Christian, but reading that verse, it said to me, do you know what, Ruth? Your life won't always go to plan. You won't always feel like the best Christian, but actually, God began a work in you, and he will carry it on. He will finish it. It doesn't matter what you do in your life, you are still his, and you will always be his. So, Ruth, you cannot give up. Now, if I hadn't seen that verse, maybe I would have tried to give up. And so it scares me to think where I would be. I certainly wouldn't be a pastor's wife. I wouldn't be working for Wycliffe. And that's the verse that, that keeps me going. Because there'll be times in my life that I'll struggle and there'll be times in life that you guys struggle as well. But for me, that's that verse that keeps me thinking, God has me and it does not matter what I do. God will not give up on me. And so that was my story. And, and I really do pray that you've got a story like that also of how the Bible has impacted your life. So you may have come to know Jesus through reading the Bible for yourself, or maybe it was a grandparent telling you about Jesus. But the Bible not only tells us the story of Jesus, but also what Jesus' life, death, and resurrection means for each of us. Because the Bible is foundational to us knowing about Jesus. Without the Bible, we wouldn't be here because we wouldn't know about Jesus. And yet, one in five people do not have the Bible. I don't know how many, does anyone know how many people you roughly have church on a Sunday morning? No. Let's say one in five. So let's say you guys over there. Yeah, because there's people at the back. Let's go, you guys over there, um, you don't have the Bible. One in five people don't have the Bible. That's not fair. It's not right and it's not just. And we constantly tell our children, world isn't fair, get used to it, deal with it. I tell that to my children. I'm sure you've been told that by your parents or you tell it to your children. And yet, we don't have to leave it as something that is unfair. We can right that wrong. 1.5 billion people, 20% of the world's population do not have the Bible. They don't have God's word and God longs to draw them to himself just like he shaped my life and your life as well. And so Wycliffe Bible Translators, um, so you, you guys are so generous in your support. And I'm not just talking support for the last couple of years. You've been supporting the Rotamas and the Oatleys for decades. You guys are so faithful and we are so thankful for that. And so our, our belief, um, and one of our um, translators says this, everyone has the right to know what God is saying to them. Everyone has a right. Not just some people, not just the well-to-do people, not just the people that speak English, not just the middle class, not just those who live a good life, but everyone has a right to know what God is saying to them. There's many places in the Bible um, that refer to the role that the Bible plays in our life. So Psalm 119 verse 10 says, Your word is a lamp for my feet, a light for my path. So the Bible can direct our future if we let it if we let it, and help shape the decisions that we make day to day. Hebrews 4.12 says, the word of God is alive and active. And I hope that's something that you've experienced. But today I want to concentrate on those verses um, from 2 Timothy chapter 3 um, that were read earlier. And as we've heard, it sits within um, Paul's letters to Timothy, um, who is a young leader in the church in Ephesus. And uh, you know, he's been trained, and Paul wrote these letters from prison, 
from prison in Rome to urge and encourage Timothy to keep faithful to the gospel amidst all the false teaching that was happening in Ephesus. And so this is the final charge to Timothy. You know, he's eager to encourage him, to strengthen him and to urge him to keep the faith and to carry out his calling as a leader and preacher of the gospel in Ephesus. So the question is, what can this passage teach us? And one of the things that Paul is urging Timothy, who is in the midst of hardships, um, is to be faithful to God's word, to realize its power and lead others to do the same. And so that's my prayer for you guys this morning is that we are all faithful to God's word, that we realize its power, that we don't underestimate the Bible, that we don't keep the Bible on a shelf getting dusty, that we don't take for granted the fact that we have so many translations in our languages, but they were faithful to it and we realize its power. And so the first point we have here um, from 2 Timothy 3.15, where it says this, you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Because I, I want to show us why we do Bible translation. You've been supporting the, the Rutamas and the Oatleys for decades. Why? Surely you could spend that money doing something else. Surely you could spend your prayers on something else. But why do you do it for Bible translation? Why is Bible translation so important? Well, that's what we're going to look at in 2 Timothy. So it says, wise for salvation. I love that phrase. The Bible makes us wiser. I'm assuming that we all want to be wise. And the world will tell us how to be wise. If you do X, Y, and Z, if you think X, Y, and Z... But the world is constantly changing with what it thinks is wise. True wisdom comes from the Bible. And the, the, the true, the best wisdom is the wisdom for salvation. Knowing that Jesus died and rose again and that we are invited to be part of God's family, to have our sin forgiven. That is the wisdom for salvation. And that is the best wisdom you can get. And we get that wisdom from the Bible. And so the work of Bible translation, making the Bible available in the language that people understand, is crucial to mission of spreading the wisdom that Paul talks about of salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Let me tell you a story about one of our translators. If you've heard this story before, if you've read it, I apologize, but I'm going to tell it because it's a really, really good story. So we have a translator called Lee, um, and Lee was working in the Hedi culture, um, and it just felt like something wasn't clicking. He'd been trying for a while to kind of break through and nothing was happening. And so he prayed to God, please, can you show me what to do? What is going to make that breakthrough? And God prompted um, Lee in a dream to look at the Hedi word for love. You see, every, um, every verb in Hedi ends in one of those three vowels. So I, A, or you. And yet they were only using devi and deva when they used the word for love. There was no devu. Devu wasn't a word that they had. They only had devi and deva, even although every other verb ended in one of those three vowels and not just the two. So the question was, why not you? So he gathered the leaders together. So this is a group of men, 70s and 80s, and the kind of elder men of the community. And he said, um, could you devi your wife? And the elders looked at him and they said, of course you can devi your wife. But it means that you did love her, but the love is now gone. It's ended. Maybe divorce, 
maybe they've died, but it was something and now it's gone. So it's past tense. The V is loved. It's in the past. She says, okay, could you devour your wife? And the elder says, well, yes, you can devour your wife. You can love her. Well, as long as she continues to cook, to clean, to do your laundry, to look after the children. Yes, you would love your wife as, as long as she did those things. Okay, so a kind of conditional love that she does things. He says, could you devour your wife? And they laughed at him. They laughed in his face. Of course you couldn't devour your wife. That would mean you would have to love her, even if she didn't cook your meals, do your laundry, look after the kids. You would have to love your wife, even if she was unfaithful. And they were like, you just can't do that. It's not a word. We do not have it. And then Lee said, but could God devour you? They'd never considered this. And that stunned them into silence. This group of elderly men stunned into silence. And then this group of elderly men started to cry because this was the breakthrough. This was what they had never understood. They had heard this, this gospel about God loving them but the love that they had heard of was either past tense or conditional love. And actually, that's not the gospel. Because we're taught that God loves us unconditionally. He has a perfect love for you. It's not conditional on how you behave. It's not conditional on who you are, how much money you have, your, state, your status within society. And so if you hear nothing else this morning, please hear this, that you are loved unconditionally. There is nothing that you can do that would mean he would love you less. Absolutely nothing. There is no part of your life that God does not love. I was at a conference yesterday in Aberdeen, um, and, and even, you know, I've been a Christian for decades, and yet just hearing that just reminds us of the fact that there is no aspect of my character that God doesn't love. He loves me perfectly, unconditionally. And that was a breakthrough for the Hiji community when they understood that God loved them unconditionally, they gave up their practices worshipping other gods. They gave up um, their other practices where they would um, kind of mix in kind of a bit of their, their old culture with the gospel. And they realised that they needed to follow God because they were loved unconditionally and all because they translated love with a different vowel ending all with a tiny little vowel. You've got a community going from not understanding the gospel to knowing that they are loved unconditionally. And that is the power of translation. And, and, and it astounds me and it amazes me because we take that for granted. We take unconditional love as something that we all expect. And yet unconditional love is not something that we would have without God, without Jesus. It's what we learn from the Bible. God had encoded the story of unconditional love in their language. The word devu had been in the language ultimately for centuries. They had just never used it before. God's in control. That's another lesson for you. God is always in control. They didn't need the sorcery or the spirits anymore. They followed God because they understood for God so devoured the world that he gave his only son. As God's word is translated around the world, people are gaining access to this, 
this great love story and how God devoted us enough to sacrifice his son for us so our relationship with him can be ordered and orientated correctly because the cross changes everything. And Wycliffe's vision, um, if you're into linguistics and, and you're into languages and you're thinking, oh, Wycliffe is a great organisation, they're a translation organisation. Maybe you've not heard much about Wycliffe in the past and you think, oh, they're a translation group. We're not a translation organisation. We're a people organisation who want people to know God. But we know that people know God through the Bible. Our vision is for everyone, that everyone can know Jesus through the Bible. We don't seek to translate the Bible for the sake of translation. We do it because we want people to know Jesus. So people can be wise for salvation, just like it talks about in 2 Timothy 3. Second point, Paul tells us that the Bible is not only important for coming to faith, but also for growing in faith. So 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The Bible is vital for our development and growth as Christians. That's why you're all here. Maybe you didn't realise why you were here. Maybe you were dragged along to church this morning or you just went, walked past the door. But you're here to learn to grow in your faith. And that's why it's so dangerous when we stop coming to church when we think we can just do it ourselves because we come to church and someone teaches us from the Bible and we grow in our faith. We want to be thoroughly equipped for every good work that God has called us to. We want to be challenged by the Bible, to be changed by it. And I love that phrase, trained in righteousness. And this is important so that we can be equipped for every good work. But there are brothers and sisters around the world who are Christians, who have heard the gospel and yet they don't have the Bible or they don't have the full Bible. So they're crying out. They want it. They want to be trained in righteousness. They want to be thoroughly equipped for every good work. They want to grow in their faith. We're taught in the Bible to not stay as immature babies in our faith. We are taught to grow, to be weaned onto solid foods. That means we need the Bible and we need to give that to our brothers and sisters across the world because they want it and they deserve to have it. How can you, we have quite a lot of New Testaments now, which, which, which is amazing and, and such, something we're to be so thankful for. But we don't just use the New Testament in church. We use the whole Bible. How can you help someone in your church when they're going through difficult times if you don't have the Psalms to turn to? How can you look at Jesus, really, if you don't have all the Old Testament prophecies that are pointing to Jesus? The whole story through the Bible is so important. And we have to give that to our brothers and sisters. And then the third point here, Paul is unflinching in this passage about the reality of the world that we're living in. There is injustice, there is evil doing, deception, suffering, persecution. It says, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evildoers and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. I love the honesty in the Bible. It doesn't pretend that your life is going to be swimmingly amazing. It doesn't pretend that everything's going to go excellent, there'll be no issues. The Bible is honest. It says that there will be suffering. And that's hard. No one wants it. And yet yesterday at that same conference... We were hearing stories of faith 
and how people have grown so much in those times of suffering. And it's often the times that we learn the biggest lessons in our faith in those times of suffering. It's hard. No one wants it. And yet we can learn so much. And that honesty is something that we've heard from our translators working in difficult circumstances. That they say that when they have the Bible, when persecution comes, and it will come, that those, trans, that those Christians are able to persevere in their faith. Where they have the Bible, they are more able to keep the faith when persecution comes. Unfortunately, while those without the Bible, when persecution comes, a lot of them lose their faith. Because they're not expecting it. So when persecution comes, they think to themselves, we must have done this wrong. This can't be what it promised to be. I must have made a mistake. And so they walk away. But if they're told persecution will come, be ready, be prepared, then they are better able to keep their faith. Let me show you, uh, share a story about a, a brother who's living under real persecution and the impact of having access to God's word. So we have Muhammad, he um, lives in West Asia. And he is from a country that is entirely devout Muslim. There are genuinely signs on the streets, on the buses that say, if you convert from Islam, you will be punished to death. That is the consequence. If you leave Islam, death is, is what's coming. And Muhammad, he grew up a really good Muslim. He read the Quran. He read um, about the prophets. And he, and he read that it said that you should read the other holy books. And so he went to his imam and he said, um, I'm, I'm taught to read the other holy books. Can you give me access to them so I can read them? Because I want to be a great Muslim. And he said, eh, no, no, we don't have one. Um, we don't have one in our language. Just that it's easy. He didn't want to give him access to the Bible. He continued on his way. Um, and he ended up going um, to India to study. And while he was there, he got his hands on a Bible because he was trying to be a good Muslim. And when he read the Bible, God completely transformed his life. He read about Jesus and, and he realized that there was no other answer, that he had to leave the faith that he'd grown up with and he had to follow Jesus. And when he came back to his home country, he met some other friends who'd also had the opportunity and the privilege to study abroad, who'd also encountered Jesus. And they were like, we need to get the Bible into our language. We need to be able to say yes when people want to read the Bible. We no longer want to have to say no. We want to give people the Bible. And so they started translating. And we have to connect with them in a third country because it's so dangerous. But they are working on translating the Bible. And this is about the story that gets me a bit emotional. So I am apologizing in advance. He has children and he has a wife. He's told his wife that he's a Christian. She's not happy. But she won't do anything about it because if she goes to the authorities and she says that he's become a Christian, she will face consequences as well. It's not just him. She knows that she will get tarred with the same brush. They'll never trust her again. They'll think she's also converted. So she won't say anything. However, he cannot tell his children. Can you, if you're a parent, can you imagine never telling your children about Jesus? He can't tell his children about Jesus because he cannot trust that they won't accidentally say in school to their friends 
because they don't know the consequences. They don't understand. And so he's having to wait until they're older, till they're adults, till he can tell them about Jesus. Why is he doing that? So that he doesn't get killed? No, he doesn't care. That's not his concern. His concern is he wants to get God's word into his language for his whole community. Because yes, he loves his kids, but he loves his whole community and he wants them all to know God. And so he's willing to put on hold. He's risking a lot of his kids for the whole community. If you're a parent, would you make the same choice? I don't know. But Muhammad realizes the impact of the Bible for his whole community. And so he's not at present telling his children about Jesus because he wants everyone to meet Jesus. Because God doesn't have favorites. So Muhammad doesn't want to have favorites. See, he knows that suffering is coming. He knows that persecution will come because he's read it in the Bible. Having access to the Bible, having the Bible, it makes us wise for salvation. It trains us in righteousness and it gives us a hope in the face of suffering. And we need, for us to have that, we need to have the Bible and the language that we know best. I don't know if the poll worked as well, but I'm assuming that you all have the Bible and the language that you know best. That, that might not be English, and maybe you usually read it in English because it's easier to read it, the language that everyone else is reading it. But you have a heart language that is your language that you know best. And so I'm assuming that you have the Bible in that language. But the language that I speak, um, <coughs> maybe it doesn't sound it because I speak really fast, but the language that I speak is English. Um, <laughs> I'm not happy that you're laughing because you're like, yeah, we agree. We don't think you speak English either. <laughs> so I only have the Bible in English because someone translated it for me. You know, if we lived in the 14th century, I'm assuming that most of us know this, but if we lived in the 14th century, we would be reading the Bible in Latin. I'm rubbish at Latin. I only know one phrase in Latin, and it is dulce decorum est patria mori. Anyone know that poem? There's a few nods of the head. Maybe he did it in higher English or something like that. Basically, it says it's fitting and sweet to die for your country. So helpful in the 21st century in Scotland. Not at all, because my Latin is rubbish. I would not be able to access God's word if I lived in the 14th century. But John Wycliffe and others, they knew that they had to get it into the language that people understood he said this, it helpeth Christian men to study the gospel in that tongue in which they know best. We're only here today in church because others have gone before us and translated God's word into the language that we know. And so we're so thankful to those who have gone before, but we don't want to stop here. Maybe we will be those who have gone before for others. In a hundred years time, we will be the people who have made it so that the 10 year people can have the whole Bible in their language. One of the people who's doing the work just now is a man called Koja Oda. There's a slide for him, I think. Yeah, there we go. He lives in Togo in West Africa and he speaks the Ife language. Um, and when he was a child, his parents dedicated him to the voodoo priesthood, which means he wasn't allowed to go to school. It's forbidden. Um, he, has a, he had a horseshoe, a uh, horsetail necklace around his neck, which was a kind of symbol of his dedication to the voodoo priesthood. Um, and, and there was no church in his village when he was growing up. But an evangelist came to town when he was 15 
And he listened and he heard that sinners go to hell and that those who accept Jesus will go to heaven. So he was like, I, I want to learn more. Um, so he started going along to church. And, and at church, they were running a literacy class. Remember, he's 15 and he cannot read or write. And so they gave him this opportunity to learn to read or write at this church doing this literacy class. And they were using the Bible, the New Testament, not the Old Testament. They were using the New Testament as a tool to teach him to read or write. And as he read more, that's when he, he decided that this was worth his whole life. And he became a Christian and he then went on to teach the literacy class. And then he felt God calling him um, to become a pastor. And so he went um, and he trained to be a pastor. And he's now the pastor of a Baptist church um, in Togo. But what's the problem? What does he only have? The New Testament. They're, they're really close. And, and this is why the story is quite exciting. Because I'm talking like in the next year, we might see the whole Bible finished. And it's really exciting. But currently, he can only teach his congregation from the New Testament. So they're missing all the stuff that I've already said with the Psalms and the prophecies to Jesus. All of that. They don't have it. They only have the New Testament. And they want the whole Bible. And so that's what we're praying for and that's what we're working towards. And that's the challenge um, that he's facing in his ministry. That's what we want for everyone. We want everyone to be wise for salvation, to grow in righteousness and to be prepared for persecution when it comes. And so you guys have been supporting um, for decades um, um, the Oatleys and the Ratamas. But there are other ways to get involved. Um, we're just going to watch a quick video. Give me a chance to not talk. Being a pastor of a church when you don't have a Bible in your language, it has been very difficult. My work is to see that these scriptures get into the hearts of the people. It was hard to convince people to start the Bible. But when they are using their, their language, hmm, it makes uh, a difference. The Bible changes lives. But if people can't understand it, it can't get into their hearts as God intended. Yet when people have the Bible in their language, lives are changed and churches grow as people come to know Jesus, as the people speaking the Luguere and Lunyole languages of Uganda have discovered. <laughs> The people in my church are changing now since we began using the Bible in Indonesia. I'm saying the Word of God transforming people's lives. Things are going to be a lot different for my grandchildren. I think the understanding of God will be better than me. All over the world, in thousands of languages, God's Word is changing lives. Dans un pays voisin, j'ai réalisé que quand les gens ont la parole de Dieu dans leur propre langue, l'effet est différent. Et moi, je voulais ça aussi pour mon peuple. Gamoina, kegeba bohala, ine le memar, le mastemar, le mesemer, uste betam destino. Ine le misale isu kemeta bohala. Gamoina, kemeta bohala, ine uste gebichesiai.
la tradition est tellement importante parce que Dieu veut communiquer pour tous les peuples sur la terre. Et Dieu veut communiquer à chaque peuple dans sa propre langue. That's why, through the support of churches and Christians from across the UK and Ireland, Wycliffe Bible Translators is working with such passion and urgency in over 70 countries with over 350 languages that are spoken by over 470 million people. God wants to communicate with each of these people through His Word so that many will come to know Jesus. An increasing number of the languages Wycliffe is working in are in the most difficult to access areas of the world for the gospel. All of these names have been changed to protect the people involved. In one of these countries, someone we're calling Ibrahim works to translate the Bible into a language spoken by millions of people, most of whom have never heard the gospel. He says, People have the right to know what God says. How will my people know that God loves them if they do not have the message in their language? We're not meant to live. It's okay, that's fine. Being a pastor that's okay for just of a chat. <laughs> um, we'll just go on to the um, update. What has actually been happening in the world of Wycliffe, in the world of Bible translation in the last year? Um, and so it's, it's a really exciting time. Um, lots has been happening, basically, to summarise. Um, by the time that you meet next week, another New Testament will have been completed. We're at a point where we are seeing a New Testament. You can go on to the next one, please. We're seeing a New Testament done every single week. 53 last year. So that's more, 52. Um, every week, by the time you meet next week, a New Testament will be finished. And you can already see by the time you meet next month, a new Bible will have been completed. That's exciting news. If you're not excited by that, please get excited by that because that's good because that's actually more people getting access to God's Word because it's not about translations, as I said at the start, but those 12 Bibles and those 53 New Testaments represent millions of people now getting access to God's Word. By the time that you meet next week, seven new translation projects will have started, one every single day. More work has happened in Bible translation in the last 23 years than had happened in the previous 50 that Wycliffe existed. Because we're accelerating, because we have access to new programs which are making the work so much better, so much easier, so much quicker. It used to take a really, really, really long time to translate a Bible. It now takes a long time, but not a really, really, really long time. So it's getting better. Um, and we want to say yes to the communities that are still waiting. We don't want to have to say no because there are so many languages that are still waiting. There are still 2,416 languages. 2,416 languages where there is still no scripture or work in progress. That is a lot of people that those languages represent. And we want to be able to say yes to them. But it's happy news, though, because more people have access to God's word, and so more people are being transformed by God because God is building his church. The church is being built, and that is really good news. So as we're celebrating, obviously we want to do more, but let's still give thanks when the opportunities come. Um, so yet, there's a lot of you who may be students, maybe trying to work out where your next stage in life is, what you want to do next. Well, I would just like to say that there are so many opportunities um, to come and to serve like the Rotamas and the Oatleys who began serving when they were very young, in their 20s. 
Maybe you're not a linguist, maybe you're thinking, but I work with computers, or I study HR, or I do business management, or something like that. All of those roles are needed in the work of Bible translation. We do not just have linguists, and actually, if you're into computers and engineering, then actually you're really suited to the work of Bible translation into the IT roles and to help develop this technology. So we're now doing a lot with AI stuff. So if you're interested in AI, we do a lot of things with AI um, to make translation so much faster. If you're not a student, that's okay. You can be in your 50s, you can be in your 60s, you can be taking early retirement and thinking, I've still got so much to give. And we would love to have a conversation with you. Um, because this work, we, we are growing more and more local leaders and it's the locals who do the translation work we, we provide expertise and consultants and we're growing more and more and more of that however we still have skills in this country that are useful in the world of bible translation we still need people from this country and from other countries to be sent into work so yes we're about equipping the local community but we still need you so if you want to come and have a conversation with me come and chat with me after the service that would be great um, and there are so many different roles. Don't just think it's for linguists and people who are really good at languages. I only speak a little bit of French. It's better than my Latin, I'll give you that, but not much. Um, it's better than my English, though, that's better. Um, and then obviously giving, your church are very generous to the Ratamas, and, and you can also give um, individually as well, or maybe you're thinking about um, your will and your legacy. And that is such an important and, and a great opportunity to leave a lasting legacy. Um, and so again, please come and speak to me if that's something that you want to explore. We actually offer a free will service. Um, you don't have to be in the latter stages in life to be writing your will. Um, you can do it just now. And we offer a free opportunity to do that. So that's giving and going. But let me just say, those things might not be appropriate for you. I understand the cost of living is very expensive right now. You might be in a position in life that you cannot go. But this last one is to pray. None of you get an excuse not to do this. The other two, I can understand. But I expect every single one of you, yeah, every single one of you to pray for the work of Bible translation. It is so important. Prayer makes the difference. Without prayer, we can do nothing. We need to rely on God. And let me just finish just as we close with a story about how prayer makes the difference. So we have Jack and Joe, um, sounds like a nursery rhyme, but Jack and Joe um, went to translate the Bible for the Canela people in Brazil. And when they first arrived amongst the Canela people, they were immediately received into the community with open arms. It's so great to see you. Come, come, what do you want us to do? How can we help you in your work? They were like, this is great. This is so easy. This is a scoosh, this is fantastic. And then they met with other translators from other communities around the area. And story after story, they were talking about how difficult it was, how they weren't welcomed into the community, how no one was standing up to help, how they didn't know what to do, how they were disheartened, discouraged, how it was really, really hard. And Jack and Joe are sitting thinking, that's not our story. We have found this so easy. And they're thinking, okay, maybe, maybe God just really likes us and thought he'd make it easy for us. And then they received a letter in the post and it was a man from Belfast and he wrote to them to tell them that he had been praying for the Canela people for 40 years. 
You see, he said that when he was younger, he had went on a, a trip to Brazil. And as they were trekking through the forest with some of his fellow missionaries, they stumbled upon a village that they didn't know was there. It was laid out in a huge circle like a wagon. And, um, but the people were so fierce that they had to leave immediately. And this man from Belfast committed to praying for that group that he later found out were called the Canela people. He committed to praying for them, even although they were so fierce and dangerous. And he prayed for them for 40 years. And then he heard that Jack and Joe were out there doing work. And he was so excited. And he wrote a letter and he told them. And then he continued to pray for them for another 22 years. Because that's how long it took Jack and Joe to do the translation work. And the man from Belfast um, eventually died. But he had prayed for the Canela people for 62 years. Can you imagine that level of faithfulness to praying for something for 62 years? And yet that is what made the difference. Every other community, every other translation project was finding it hard. And yet Jack and Joe didn't find it hard. Maybe you're thinking it's just a coincidence. I don't believe that. Jack and Joe worked with the Canela people for 22 years. But actually, the man from Belfast had been speaking to God about the Canela people for 62 years. And that, in my opinion, is what made the difference because by praying makes a difference. So please, all of you, please continue to pray for the Ritamas. Please continue to pray for the Oatleys. Please continue to pray for the millions of people, for the 1.5 billion people who are still waiting and pray for this work to be completed so that everyone gets to meet Jesus, so that everyone gets to be invited to this party in heaven, to that wedding banquet that we're read in Revelation earlier. Thank you so much for listening. If you have any questions, please come and speak with me. Um, I have various leaflets. I have prayer leaflets that you can pray for translators. You can learn more about Wycliffe. Um, or if you just want to come and tell me that my English is rubbish, I'm okay with that as well. Um, but it's been really good. Let me finish by praying. God, we thank you for the gift of the Bible, for the way that you've used your word to draw us to you and to shape our lives in a Christ-like way. We thank you for the privilege of having the Bible in Eng English. And we pray, Lord, that all of those without the Bible in their language will soon be able to know Jesus, to become wise for salvation, to grow in righteousness, and to have hope in the face of suffering through having the Bible in the language that they know best. God, we pray that you continue to challenge us in our use of the Bible in our opinion of the Bible, that, that we elevate it within our life so that we completely rely on it, that we don't leave it on a shelf unused, but that we realise the power that it has, that we're opening it all the time and reading what you have to say to us in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.